It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Reflecting on this, I decided to follow her advice, and I noticed profound changes in my own dogs. Enhanced energy, healthier skin, and an overall younger demeanor. It's truly heartwarming to see them so vibrant and full of life. Go to badlandsfood.com slash hometown and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash hometown. It's the 19th century. New York City is blossoming. And amidst this growth, There's a buzz around a new institution that's popping up that will change the cultural landscape forever. Today, this institution sits on Fifth Avenue, hosting events like the Met Gala. Nestled on the edge of New York City's Central Park, this institution has become synonymous with art, culture, and history. Its grand facade and sprawling wings are an embodiment of our shared human experience, a collection of stories told through art. But back then, it was a little bit more modest. Beneath the vast corridors and behind those impressive collections lies a tale not many are familiar with. Before it found its iconic residence on Fifth Avenue, the Met began its journey in the Dodworth Building. Amidst the hustle and bustle of 19th century New York, the Dodworth Building stood as a monument to entertainment and leisure. Originally constructed in the 1830s, began its life as a grand dance hall, a space where New York's elite gathered for evenings of merriment and ballroom dancing. Its vast floor and ornate details made it the go-to place for lavish events. But as times changed and the city's thirst for culture grew, this very dance hall caught the attention of the founding members of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. They envisioned a space where instead of waltzes and soirees, visitors would stroll through corridors adorned with art. 
but transforming a dance hall into a museum sounds easy, but it was no small feat. Every nook and cranny of the Dodworth building had been designed with dancing in mind. Converting such a space to house delicate art pieces and sculptures required innovation and resilience. Walls were reinforced, lighting was revamped, and displays were meticulously planned to ensure each artifact was given its due spotlight. When you think about it today, a dance hall seems the easiest thing to convert into a museum space. But in the 1870s, it required more than vision. It needed an insurmountable amount of paperwork, approvals, and of course, workforce. This all cost money, and the founders were short on funding. Museums were hardly funded as handsomely as they are today, so the Met relied largely on donations and fundraising events to revamp the Dodworth building and acquire new artworks. Through these challenges, the Met's founders displayed unwavering dedication, turning the dance hall's limitations into unique exhibition opportunities. As the doors opened to the public, the Met's early collection began to take shape. Pieces from Europe sat alongside artifacts from Asia, creating a tapestry of cultures. Every month saw new additions, with curators and patrons alike working tirelessly to grow the museum's offerings. But what truly set the Met apart during its time in the Dodworth building was its commitment to accessibility. The founders believed that art should not be the exclusive domain of the elite. Public programs were introduced, ranging from lectures to workshops, each designed to foster a love for art in the city's residents. These programs played a pivotal role in democratizing art, allowing people from all walks of life to engage with the masterpieces that adorned the museum's walls. In those formative years, the Dodworth Building wasn't just a temporary home. It was the crucible in which the Met's ethos and identity were forged. It was here that the foundations were laid for a museum that was not just a repository of art, but a vibrant, accessible hub of culture for all. And as their collection grew, they were quickly running out of space. The Dodworth, though a massive structure, was lacking. As New York City's silhouette grew taller and its streets pulsated with the energy of change, the Metropolitan Museum of Art sought a new chapter, a place that could match its grand ambitions. That place was the Douglas Mansion, a lavish edifice standing testament to the grandeur of the era, bearing silent witness to countless soirees, balls, and the whispers of New York's elite. 
as the movers and shakers of the Met, embarked on this transition. There was a palpable mix of excitement and trepidation. The founders, a blend of artists, philanthropists, and visionaries, felt the weight of their responsibility. Inside the mansion, grand halls and spacious rooms offered opportunities previously unimagined. The ceilings soared higher and the walls stretched wider, eagerly awaiting the treasures they would soon display. One could almost feel the energy in the air as renowned pieces like the Temple of Dender, a relic of Egyptian grandiosity, found their place. This structure, with its sandstone walls and hieroglyphics, transported visitors to the banks of the Nile, making time and distance mere concepts. Then there was the ethereal unicorn tapestries. These threads told tales of beauty, mythology, and the interplay of the mundane and the magical. Patrons would often stand transfixed, allowing the tapestries to envelop them in a world of fantasy. But it wasn't just about the artifacts. The founders and curators, men and women deeply passionate about art, felt a connection with every acquisition. Every piece was a story, a journey, a testament to human creativity. They felt pride in showcasing world cultures under one roof, with immense responsibility to both the artifacts and the public. There were intense debates and deliberations on placement, lighting, and interpretation. They wanted every visitor to feel the magic, to journey through time and space, and to leave with a sense of wonder. But that magic extended beyond the walls of the Douglas Mansion. As New York experienced the Gilded Age, a time of unbridled opulence and a burgeoning upper class, the museum found itself at the very heart of the city's cultural renaissance. The skyline climbed further thanks to the wealth of industrialists. While on the streets, the dreams of many intertwined with the reality of a rapidly changing world. Amid this backdrop of opulence just opposed with societal shifts, the Metropolitan Museum of Art emerged as a cultural haven, a beacon of art and education. Its very presence elevated New York's status on the global stage. While Paris had the Louvre and London boasted the British Museum, New York, a city still carving its identity, now had the Met. Tourists, artists, and intellectuals from around the world began to see the city as more than just a commercial powerhouse. It was evolving into a cultural epicenter. Beyond its role as a repository of art, the Met took on the mantle of an educator. The Gilded Age 
with its whirlwind of innovations and societal upheavals, saw thirst for knowledge and refinement. The Met's public programs quenched this thirst. Lectures brought scholars to share their insights. Concerts filled the halls with melodies from various corners of the globe. And children, many experiencing art for the first time, were introduced to a world of imagination and wonder. Through these endeavors, the Met fostered a community that wasn't just appreciative of art, but actively engaged with it. Under the roof of the Douglas Mansion, as gas lights flickered and horse carriages echoed in the streets outside, the Met became more than just a museum. It was a living entity, a place where past and present intertwined, where dreams were cast in stone and canvas, and where New York, in all its chaotic beauty, found a reflection of its soul. Luckily or unluckily, though, the collection grew too large for even Douglas Mansion to house. A move was imminent. Since its inauguration in 1872, the Metz's treasures had multiplied exponentially, and the Douglas Mansion, though regal in its own right, had grown weary and cramped under the weight of history. By the early 1870s, as the pressing need for expansion became undeniable, the Met's board of directors found themselves at a crossroads. Various sites beckoned with potential, including the expansive realms of Central Park. Yet it was a generous offer from John Taylor Johnston, one of the very pillars who had breathed life into the Metz's vision that sealed the museum's final place as we know it today. Fifth Avenue nestled between 81st and 82nd Street. It was an address that promised prominence and accessibility, an epicenter from which the Metz's influence would radiate outwards and a location that would grow in legacy beyond anyone's wildest dreams. Choosing the design for this cultural citadel was no trifling matter. A competition was announced, beckoning architects far and wide to etch their names into history. From a pool of remarkable blueprints emerged a design that would set the Met's future into stone. Richard Morris Hunt's masterpiece. His vision, inspired by the enchanting Gothic Revival style, resonated deeply with the era's aesthetics and aspirations. It's the design we know and love today. With the blueprint in hand and the land awaiting its transformation, 1874 marked the commencement of a construction endeavor that would span six long years. The city watched with bated breath as stone by stone the Met's new sanctuary
began to take shape. During this time, a select number of artworks were shown in the Douglas Mansion, while the rest were getting packed for their new home. The journey was not without its tribulations. Moving an assembly of invaluable artifacts posed logistical nightmares. How do you transport a millennia-old Egyptian sarcophagus or a delicate Renaissance painting across the bustling streets of New York? While the builder struggled with the weight of perfecting what would become an iconic landmark, the collectors and Met staff struggled with the logistics of ensuring every piece of art made it safely. Imagine, for a moment, standing amidst the labyrinthian corridors of the Douglas Mansion, surrounded by millennia of art and history. From the delicate brushstrokes of Renaissance paintings to the imposing shadows cast by monolithic sculptures, the challenge was unmistakably clear. Each piece, irrespective of its size or age, demanded reverence and meticulous care during the move. The overwhelming diversity in the size and nature of the artifacts was the first obstacle. Delicate paintings, their colors and emotions frozen in time, had to be cradled most gently. Specialized crates, cushioned with soft materials, became their temporary homes. It wasn't enough to place them in soft boxes, though, because they also had to ensure no moisture got in. The paintings had to be completely untouched and untainted by time and travel. The massive sculptures presented a different challenge. Cushioned boxes and sealed lids wouldn't cut it. Many of these giants had to be disassembled and transformed into manageable sections. Their journey to Fifth Avenue was facilitated by specialized carriages, engineered to bear the hefty weight, ensuring that every fragment, every chiseled detail, reached its destination intact. Assembling them once again in a manner that looked seamless was a different challenge altogether. Glassware and ceramics were nestled amidst an ocean of soft materials and even still carried to and from carriages with the utmost care. While the physical challenges were many, the invisible weight of responsibility was perhaps the heaviest. With a collection worth billions, every move, every decision was underscored by the pressuring need for security. Luckily, however, nothing was stolen. But that doesn't mean the Met was an impenetrable fortress. You will know more about that in Episode 2 of our Met series. And while the move was executed with near-surgical precision, there were inevitable hiccups. Some artifacts bore the brunt of the journey, 
sustaining minor damages. Time constraints stretched, and the move's conclusion seemed ever elusive. Still, a keen sense of urgency permeated the air. To reveal its treasures to an eagerly awaiting public, the museum staff toiled day and night, orchestrating the massive relocation operation. But as the dust settled, the success of this gargantuan effort was undeniable. On the crisp morning of March 30th, 1880, a monumental dream was realized. The doors of the new Metropolitan Museum of Art opened, revealing an expanse that dwarfed its former residences. Now ready to welcome even more stories from around the world. The Fifth Avenue address didn't just offer more space. It heralded the Mets' ascent to the pinnacle of global cultural institutions. Over time, the Met would undergo numerous transformations, each renovation adding layers to its grandeur. By 2019, after the last extensive refurbishment, the museum stood as a testament to art. But now, it's so much more than that. At its core, the Met is dedicated to educating the masses. Throughout the year, it conducts workshops, lectures, and symposiums, catering to both adult and children. These events are tailored to provide immersive experiences, from hands-on art-making workshops to scholarly discussions about the nuances of a particular art form or period. Each time the Met unveils a new exhibition, it often comes with its own set of inaugural events. These range from curator-led tours which offer deep insights into the showcased art to artist interactions where attendees can engage directly with the curators. The museum also occasionally hosts music concerts, dance performances, and other live events that align with its current exhibitions or permanent collections. These events reflect the Metz's commitment to celebrating art, no matter what form it presents in. That also includes film. The Met has been known to organize film screenings, particularly those that resonate with the theme of current exhibitions. These aren't just contemporary films. They span from classics to critically acclaimed international cinema providing yet another layer to the museum's vast cultural offering. And finally, recognizing the importance of instilling a love for art from a young age. The Met frequently organizes events for families. These include storytelling sessions, scavenger hunts, and interactive tours that make the vast collection more approachable 
and engaging for young audiences. And then, of course, there's the jewel in the crown, the Met Gala. You probably know this one. It's the most popular event of all, overshadowing anything else. Every year, the Met hosts a fundraiser for the museum's Costume Institute, and it is attended by celebrities, designers, and socialites from around the globe. Each year, the gala has a theme in sync with the Costume Institute's annual fashion exhibit. This theme dictates not only the decor of the event, but also the attire of the attendees. From the steps of the museum to its grand halls, the Met transforms into a live tableau of haute couture, with attendees interpreting this theme in myriad, often avant-garde ways. Beyond the fashion, the gala includes a cocktail hour, a formal dinner, and sometimes even performances by top artists. Over the years, the Met Gala has witnessed unforgettable fashion moments and controversies and has indelibly etched its mark as a confluence of art, culture, and celebrity. In essence, the events at the Met are as diverse and dynamic as its collections, each one offering a unique window into the rich tapestry of global art and culture. So, as the golden hues of the setting sun bathe Fifth Avenue, the grand facade of the Metropolitan Museum of Art stands as a sentinel to the ever-evolving tapestry of human expression. To think it all began in the corridors of a dance hall before moving on to a historic mansion and finally finding a home of its own. These initial homes, though temporary, laid the foundational stones for the Met's rich legacy. It was here that the dream of creating a repository of global art took its first breath, and with every artifact acquired, the Met's mission solidified. It's clear to see how, as the city evolved, so did the Met, reflecting the tastes, ideals, and aspirations of its residents. In essence, the story of the Met is the story of New York City itself, vibrant, diverse, and unceasingly dynamic. Join us next time as we uncover another secret from the halls of the Met. When thieves ran rampant in the museum, from a $50 million iconic art piece going missing to a rare artifact being simply walked out of the front doors, the Met has seen its fair share of incredibly bizarre stories. I'll see you then.